0: Jackson Jefferson and Shooting the Sun. He's the president of the board of directors of the Squaw Valley Community of Writers. Thank you for joining me, Max. My pleasure, Max. I want to talk about your historical fiction first, because you know uh, when I was looking at at you know the list of your books and thinking about the the history of historical fiction, I think uh, that historical fiction really begins where fiction begins.
1: Historical fiction may well be the oldest literary form there is. Uh, it probably starts with Homer. Not with Gore Vidal, but Homer <laughs> with the Iliad and the Odyssey telling dramatized stories about uh, heroes and events of the past. Uh, it, you could really make a case for starting it back
0: there. Yeah, uh, it's, That's a really interesting perception because it obviously story is in the word history.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. But the, 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 to me, the odd thing is that I kind of backed into writing historical novels I started out writing detective novels, and I wrote uh, a bunch of them. Uh, they were sort of hard-boiled, private-eye kind of detective stories, and that was going along nicely, and I got a telephone call one day from a man named Steve Rubin, who was at that time the publisher of Bantam Books, my publisher, and he was the, the top guy. And he called, and he introduced himself, and I jumped to attention, and then he said... Uh, had something serious to say to me and I said yep okay and he said I don't like detective novels <laughs> really? and so there was a long pause at my end of the phone and uh, he went on and he said he wanted me to try my hand at writing a novel about Thomas Jefferson this is out of the blue boy that's said, wild <laughs> and I said well I you know uh, no I said <laughs> um, and we talked about it and uh, I told him that from what little I knew Jefferson was not a good subject for any kind of novel. Jefferson, uh, well, Lincoln is a great subject for a novel because Lincoln is uh, is a melancholy, dramatic character, and you have the Civil War, and he dies at the hands of the assassin Booth, and so on. You have everything is there, and there are lots of novels about Lincoln, in fact. But Jefferson was a writer. Jefferson, he died quietly in bed at the age of, I think, eighty four. Uh, he. His fame rests on what he did with his pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the backdrop of the Revolutionary War is not the same, and Jefferson wasn't really part of it. I said, No. And I said, Besides, from everything I know about Jefferson, he was a very remote and elusive kind of personality. Uh, people didn't get close to him. He's not warm. Steve Rubin said, said, well, that's all true, but, you know, uh, think about it. So I thought about it, and I wrote a little more detective fiction, and he kept coming back to me, and I finally said I would write it uh, if he would pay the expenses of my research. And Steve Ruman said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And I said, well, the only other condition I have is that it would take place in the years 1783 or so to 1789, uh, 1784, 89 I think I said. And he said, well, okay, but... But why? And I said, those were the years that Jefferson lived in Paris. In Paris. <laughs> which is where the research that you've just agreed to underwrite will have to be done. And there was, this time, a long pause at his end. Uh, but he said, sure. And uh, so I went off and lived in Paris. And uh, I, I researched not only Jefferson, but also, as you were saying, the historical novel, because I hadn't been writing it. And I, I thought it would be very different from the detective novel. And
0: it seems like it must be because history is just a recounting of events and ha- and doesn't have that kind of arc of a historical novel. Tell me how you went about architecting your first historical novel coming from a crime fiction background.
1: Well, I would first have to say that, that the research is very different. Uh, when I was writing detective novels, I I would hang out with cops and lots of low people in low places. And I had a grand old time. I, I once spent a week in the uh, in the 911 room of the Los Angeles uh, City Police just listening to calls and working up a story about a, a, bomb, a bomb squad detective. So uh, to write about Jefferson was uh, a wrench in terms of research. Mm-hmm. I had to—I uh, I went to the library a lot more than I went to the low bars and— Places I had gone, and I walked around Paris, much of which is still recognizable as, as Jefferson's place. Um, mm-hmm. And and I kind of tried to soak it in. At the same time, I read a lot of historical novels, and in fact, I I looked at Homer, I looked at Homer and and others, and I finally decided that what sets the historical novel apart from something like the detective novel is is probably first of all length. Surprisingly enough. Uh, Historical novels tend to be written in the third person, and they, they have a very large canvas. Mm-hmm. A detective novel is intense and moves towards a, a you know a, a satisfying resolution of the of the plot problems, the crime. but historical novels kind of sprawl and they cover the high, the low, from Mount Olympus down to the underworld and I had to organize. An enormous amount of material about Jefferson. And it, it became clear that not only is our historical novels long, but usually they just take a part of, uh, of somebody's life if you're writing about a life or an event. And they don't try to duplicate a, a biography mm-hmm. such as a, a scholar might write. They just pick the, the dramatic part, the trajectory in his life. Uh, to me, that was Jefferson in Paris, because coming to Paris from provincial colonial virginia absolutely changed jefferson he 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 stepped onto the world stage in in the most glamorous and exciting city in europe in the 18th century or still i think and uh it was it was a a transformation of jefferson's uh, character that took place in paris and, and that interested me i could see that was an arc that i could follow and just leave it at that i didn't have to carry him into his presidency i didn't have to go back to his days as governor of virginia i could just take the, the dramatic change that that came over him in Paris. And that makes sense.
0: You know, I never thought about that because he did spend that short time in Paris. And that's what we look for in a novel is, is that sense of a character changing in a mm-hmm. short period of time through... And also, you have a great fish-out-of-water story, don't yes, you? Yes,
1: that's right, yes. Well, it's actually, in many ways, it's one of the oldest of American themes. The, it's straight out of Henry James, only earlier. You <laughs> know, the American goes to Europe. The naive American uh, goes to sophisticated Europe. And was he seen, naive? Uh, Jefferson was very learned, mm-hmm. always learned. Um, although a curious fact I learned, he, he spoke French. Um, he had learned it in... Uh, in college at William and Mary, and from a traveling tutor, but he spoke it with a Scottish accent, really, which was, which was I, apparently a little, a little unnerving to his French friends. It sounds unnerving um, to me. <laughs> yeah, but Jefferson, uh, though learned and reasonably fluent in French, uh, he became reasonably fluent. Was not prepared for, uh, and nothing would have prepared him for the world of, of fashionable ladies, of glamour, of elaborate dinners, of servants and carriages, and especially of kings and nobility. Mm-hmm. And Jefferson um, hated kings and nobility from the moment he saw them. He, he was, uh, he he was Jeffersonian uh, in that sense. Uh, so coming to to Paris, in some senses, he was unsophisticated, mm-hmm. uh, the the largest city he had ever seen before Paris. Was Philadelphia when he went to have his smallpox inoculation, and Philadelphia was about forty, thirty, or forty thousand people. And
0: mm-hmm. Paris
1: was going on to half a million. So tremendous uh, a, a change for Jefferson uh, to go there. It, it it had a it had a, an effect on American architecture. One of the things that Jefferson had started building, uh, rebuilding, making Monticello before he he left for Paris, and while he was in Paris. Uh, To sit in the Jardin de Tuileries, the Tuileries garden, in those days, you had to pay for a a chair. You had to rent a chair. And just across the river from where Jefferson customarily rented his chair, um, a a wealthy man was building a a palace for himself. It's now the the headquarters for the Legion of Honor, the French uh, Legion d'Honneur. But at that time, it was called the Hotel de Salme, after the man. And it had a dome, a beautiful white dome, uh, and it had the classic Palladian architecture. And when Jefferson returned to Virginia some years later, Monticello became, a, a, if you see the Legion d'Honneur Palace right now, looks very much the same. He he uh, imported what he saw. He, he was also... Uh... Uh, a wine connoisseur <laughs> yes uh he he was a wine connoisseur. He traveled into the Bordeaux country and he bought lots and lots of wine in uh, in paris he, uh, Some people say that he brought ice cream back to America also, but i don 't think so he uh, He did go into Italy and uh, smuggled back rice seeds and rice plants uh, to ship to Virginia, where he thought they could grow and and be prosperous and so yes he Jefferson was such a polymath. He he did everything. Wine, agriculture, uh music. He 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 uh, he went to a number of concerts and became very musical there. He'd always played the fiddle, but he also had a love affair. Uh-huh. Now, tell us about his love affair.
0: Now that must have when you're you're researching and you find out about Jefferson's love affair, there's an a natural part of your novel's
1: archive. I Abso- guess. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it it just walked right up and said, "Hello." Uh It's not Sally Hemings, as everyone uh, would assume. Sally Hemings came over about midway through Jefferson's time as our ambassador uh, to Paris. Uh, She was the servant uh, accompanying a slave, accompanying uh, one of Jefferson's daughters who came over. She was about 14 or 15 uh, at the time. The woman that Jefferson, I think, uh, was involved in was named Maria Cosway, and she was the wife of an English miniature painter, uh, a man who uh, who painted miniatures for uh, wealthy families of, of, to carry around. And he also had a sideline, as I learned, and uh, he was a repellent fellow uh, in pornographic snuffbox lids, which, <laughs> which they have a collection of in the Huntington Library, but not on general display. But Maria was his wife and very beautiful, very charming, somewhat neglected. Jefferson was this tall, handsome, he's a widower, Uh, very exotic and intriguing American and uh, Maria and Jefferson uh, had an affair as far as anyone can tell. Jefferson, in a kind of a schoolboyish mood, was trying to impress her, it seems, by leaping over, jumping over a fence in uh, in the gardens outside the Tuileries and he actually broke his wrist doing this and it was badly set. Maria was leaving with her husband to go back to England for, at that point. And Jefferson, and if you've ever done this, this is really quite remarkable, in about two weeks... Taught himself to write with his left hand, and he wrote her before she left. I think it's about seventeen pages long. I may have the number wrong, but it's a very long document called "The Dialogue of the Heart and the Head" about his feelings towards Maria. The heart saying one thing, the head saying another, and a, quite quite a an a passionate tribute to her. Wow! Yes.
0: T- teaching somebody to yourself to write with your left hand—that's yes. Well, it was.
1: It's uh, if you ever see the document, you can see it, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't his usual handwriting, but he was very smitten with Maria Cosway.
0: Now you. Go to Paris. You do a couple years of research? No, it was really about six months. Six months of research. There in Paris, yeah. And a lot of reading in libraries. You've got a huge number of facts. You could probably write an 800-page book right. just of these facts that will bore people to sleep. You want to write a, a page pulse-pounding, page-turning, entertaining historical novel. How do you boil all those facts down and distill them and, and give it a plot
1: arc? Well, here here's where a historical novel is, is like uh, almost any other kind of novel. You look for points of conflict or drama, like Maria Cosway and The Husband and The Triangle. And for a novelist, The Triangle, not The Circle, is the perfect figure, of course. Uh, and then you find just a few storylines that might carry you all the way through. Uh, for instance, Jefferson in Paris is, is just before the Revolution. Mm-hmm. So there, there is a great deal of excitement. Uh, Lafayette keeps coming to Jefferson's house, and the mobs begin, the riots start, while Jefferson is there, and Jefferson is the great revolutionary, the great Democrat, and so he is, uh, uh, That that's a storyline that one follows through. At the same time, um, Sally Hemings' brother, James, had accompanied Jefferson um all the, all the time he was there, Jefferson wanted him to learn to cook so that he could come back to Monticello and be a French chef in Jefferson's home. Uh, James Hemings is a very interesting person because uh, as a slave in Virginia, he was untutored and, uh, and illiterate by design and so on. And then he comes to France where, in fact, slavery is illegal. And great tensions, racial tensions, slavery versus free tensions arise, and uh there is evidence that he more than once confronted Jefferson about his situation he wanted to be um, he wanted to be free and Jefferson hemmed and hawed and, and in fact, James Hemings went back to Virginia and resumed his role as a slave at the same time. Almost my favorite character in early American history pops up on the scene, and that's a man named uh well it's spelled Gouverneur, but it was pronounced Governor Morris. Governor Morris is a wonderful guy. He uh, he actually wrote the language of the Constitution. Mm. Jefferson was away when the Constitution was being written. He had nothing to do with it. Um, but Governor Morris was at the convention. He's from New York. Uh, he was the great writer and the draftsman. When, when they decided what they wanted, it was Governor Morris's prose that they used, and he came over to Paris on business ventures, and uh, he promptly, uh, like everybody else, uh, fell into an affair with a married woman, in this case Marie de de Flareau. Um, Governor Morris was an out-and-out abolitionist. Since he had written the Constitution, he was not in awe of the man who had written the Declaration of Independence. He rather saw themselves as equals. And he he didn't hesitate to tell Jefferson what he thought on the racial uh, issues of the day, and so uh, well, that was dramatic conflict <laughs> right there. And and Governor Morris was he was a wonderful rake, so I was glad when he arrived.
0: <laughs> you you've written
1: uh, several other his historical novels, uh, and could you
0: talk about you know looking at people and you know. There's a lot of really interesting history out there. There's a lot of really interesting people out there. How did you choose to uh, interview or to <laughs> uh, write about uh,
1: Grant and, and uh, Jackson? And, well, and, uh, I, I, I took Jackson. I Jefferson, of course, was Steve Rubin's idea, mm-hmm. but since that, that worked out, I said, do another. And uh, I thought the, the, the mighty opposite of Jefferson is Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. The, everything about Andrew Jackson is different from uh, from Jefferson, though both of them are a, a heroes in the Democratic uh, pantheon of, of American history. But Jackson was this wild Western guy out of Nashville, Tennessee. That's the West. He was uh, coarse, very unlettered compared to to the uh, to the eloquent and, and fluent uh, Jefferson. Jackson was a rough guy who was always having duels. Uh he was just the 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 force of the people, the demos let loose. Whereas Jefferson was all constrained and and disciplined. So I went to Jackson uh, just out of contrast really. Uh, and uh, I have to say that I was at first annoyed with Jackson for never having gone to Paris so I could <laughs> not do my research there, but Nashville turned out to be fun and I spent a lot of time doing Jackson. And then um we went to Grant. Um, I, think, I think I got interested in Grant because um, there's a biography of Grant, um, uh, won, won a big prize, and the first sentence of it is, it's a standard biography, Grant was certainly not remarkable for intelligence. And I read that, and I threw the book across the room. I thought, this could only be written by a professor because here was a guy who had commanded a, a huge army he had won the civil war he had been elected president twice he had written a book that was still in print uh, and will be in print for for ages and he had also with this guy that i don't think he even knew he had once solved a mathematical problem that was the standard textbook solution for a certain algebra problem for uh, for many decades i thought that grant was really misunderstood uh, he mm-hmm. was quite a remarkable guy and so i i approached grant but knowing that I did not dare go near the Civil War because that's that 's a swamp from which very few writers ever return it 's just you know that's that's <laughs> that 's uh too much but uh, but after the war grant's grant 's career after the war, not just after the war but when he made a kind of half hearted run for a third term as president mm-hmm. uh, and that was where I wanted to to start just. A few years, actually about a year and a half of Grant's time um, when he was beginning to warm up to that. The other thing I wanted to do, because if, if you're writing fiction, you always want to see contrasts and conflicts. Uh, not gunplay, but things that are mm-hmm. in, in some sort of collision and friction. And one of Grant's best friends, uh, this, is, this has always amazed me, was Mark Twain. Wow, Mark Twain, Grant the, the silent soldier and Mark Twain the, the guerrilla's voluble humorist and they were very close friends in fact it was Mark Twain who published Grant's memoirs uh, and who visited him uh, during the months that Grant was writing them and it was sometimes thought Mark Twain had helped him Twain said no, no, he didn't have anything to do with it and, and it's, it's not well known that Mark Twain actually served briefly in the Confederate Army Really? In Missouri, he, he joined a kind of, uh, not quite militia, but it was a, a little um, semi-independent part of the Confederate Army roaming up and down Missouri. He wrote about it uh, afterwards in uh, something called The the Private History of a Campaign that failed. I think that's, that's the title. But uh, he had a vision that he had almost killed General Grant, who was at that time in Missouri as well. And so Mark Twain, who was very much given to thinking about fate and uh, and uh, the great movements of events, thought that he and Twain, he and Grant were destined to be be close friends, and and they were uh, a, a remarkable mutton-jeff pair. Uh, but but to me, very fascinating. You have the writer, and then the soldier, uh, and the soldier turned out to be a great writer as well.
0: Now um, you're the director of the um, the president of the board of directors of the. Squaw Valley Writers' Community. Right. Um, could you talk, uh, how long have you been doing this, in this in this. I program? came
1: as a, as a student or participant in, I want to say 1977, uh, so a long time. <laughs> uh, and I came, and I was a student. I had come because my friend Diane Johnson had said, well, uh, if you want to publish this novel, you've got knocking around, uh, you need to talk with Oakley Hall. Um, Oakley was uh, the, one of the founders of the Squaw Valley Writers Conference, and uh, and indeed, I, I got my manuscript in front of Oakley Hall, and uh, um, there was a an editor in the in the conference at that time who had way too much to drink one night, and and sort of announced to the crowd at large, "I'll read anybody's manuscript." <laughs> And tell you, well, he was overwhelmed with uh, with some things. But at the end of the week, he came up and um, offered me a contract on what I had, and so um, my my gra- gratitude to Squaw Valley knows no ends, uh, and I've been coming ever since as a as a part of the staff and for quite a few years now, president of the board of directors, which is the the sort of the business end, trying to to keep us afloat and so forth. Well, you know, these are hard times
0: for this this kind of enterprise uh, how's it how's it
1: going <laughs> you know uh, it is we, we uh, are like everybody else we're hurting in, in our small uh, investment portfolio has really taken a, a hit and uh, contributions have dried up to some extent but what we have going here is is a, a tremendous loyalty uh, we don't pay the staff very much at all uh, for what they do and they do a lot But they come back year after year because the atmosphere is really great. It's very literary, it's it's very focused, it's very professional. And so year after year, people like Richard Ford will come to Squaw to teach because he really loves the way we do things here. Richard could be making a lot more at some other conference, but uh, almost all of the people who who are regulars uh, feel, I think, a tremendous loyalty to to the idea that Oakley had when he founded it.
0: I think the the word, you know, community is really absolutely key. That's what I've felt when I've been here. It seems like there's an encouragement of a family kind of feeling. But also, too, as you mentioned, it's very professional and and very literary. And and it's not as, I think, uh, Brett Hall put it, uh, a petting, or or Lisa Alvarez, it's not a petting zoo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, it is is literary in in a very good and... uh, I think um modest and reasonable way mm-hmm. people do sell a lot of books out of the conference because we have agents and editors who come and and participate but uh, the goal is is really not about marketing and sales it's it's writing writing good stuff and and everybody knows that that's what what we're here for and it it really shows well now you're a vastly
0: published well acclaimed uh Crime fiction and uh, historical novelist Tell us how you bring that experience To the workshop I saw you conducting Out
1: on the patio this morning Oh, well, that was fun We had um, two manuscripts from participants Um, They were both first chapters First two or three chapters of novels And they were both historical novels As it happened this time uh, today And we talk about um, opening pages how, How much a writer uh, can get on an opening page of his basic themes and, and setting. We talked about the setting, where it takes place. One, one of the uh, manuscripts takes place in Bogota. So we talked about how to use that exotic setting. Uh, we talked about the things that, that go on at you know at most writers' conferences, point of view and uh, cutting words and so forth. Um, so uh, sometimes um, you will get manuscripts that are sort of specialized. I, I guess I tend to get more of the historical fiction uh, than any other kind but often it's uh, it's a very different kind of fiction and you just try to apply the same principles you would apply to do any, any piece of writing I've been speaking with Max Bird he's the author
0: of Grant Jackson Jefferson and Shooting the Sun he's the president of the board of directors of Squaw Valley Community of Writers thank you for speaking with me Max thank you it's been a pleasure <music>